Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hi once again. I'm Tom Brenneman. Welcome to Dialed In. As always, we thank our producer-engineer, Dave Yiddy Armbruster, for all of his outstanding work. You know, uh, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, um, you go through life, and maybe you're married, maybe you're not. Um, maybe you had a great upbringing, maybe you didn't. Um, and, and everybody is different and unique in in those parts of their lives. There are also parts in your professional life where someone comes along who, I'm not even sure what the word is. They, they, they come along and, and they they change how you look at the world and oftentimes how you go about living your life. And through my career, whether it be in baseball, uh, I could go down the list of every partner I've ever had, from Bob Brenly to Steve Lyons to Jim Traber to Chris Welsh to Jeff Brantley to Tim McCarver. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And all incredible people with unique talents. Um, football, you know, I've worked with Troy Aikman, Brian Billick. We've had them on this show. Um, Ron Pitts and, and, and so many others. Anthony Munoz, a man of incredible character. But up until this year, when I was suspended from my job, uh, my partner had been Chris Spielman. And to get to know Chris Spielman and his story, this is a guy who was on the cover of a Wheaties box when he was in high school. And I know a lot of you out there remember this. I was in high school at the time. And here was this guy from Massillon, Ohio. It's on the cover of a Wheaties box. And you're thinking, man, I don't want to run into that dude anytime, anywhere. And he goes on to have this incredible career and on the field and, and of course, in the broadcast booth and, and now the CEO and special assistant to the owner with the Detroit Lions. He's our guest this week, Chris Spielman. And um, I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know Chris Spielman. And I'm not going to talk about – his days on the field and playing linebacker at Ohio State and playing in the NFL. We're going to talk about his dad, Sonny Spielman, legendary head coach in Canton, Ohio. We're going to talk about his wife, Stephanie, her five bouts of cancer. And he lost her and had to raise four kids of his own by himself. We'll talk about that and more and the trade of Matthew Stafford. You're listening to Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. 
Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Chris Spielman was born in Canton, Ohio in 1965 to parents Nancy and Sonny Spielman. He graduated from Massillon Washington High School in 1983, was named the National High School Scholar Athlete of the Year. He was the first high school athlete ever to have his picture on the cover of a Wheaties box. Spielman went on to star at The Ohio State University, four-year starter, three-time All-American in 1988, a second-round draft pick by the Detroit Lions, became a four-time Pro Bowler, and to this day is the Lions' all-time franchise leader in tackles. He played two years in Buffalo and missed a 1998 season to be with his wife Stephanie in her battle with cancer. Spielman returned to the Browns in 99 and then hung him up. He then started an incredible broadcasting career spanning 22 years before leaving the NFL on Fox this season to become special assistant to the owner and CEO of the Detroit Lions. He and his wife Stephanie have four children. Stephanie passed away of breast cancer on November 19, 2009. In 2013, he married Carrie Yoakum, adopted her two daughters, Chris Spielman, what did I miss that you're most proud of? Uh, I, I think, first of all, thank you for having me on. And uh, my working with you, I'm most proud of for, for a oh. wonderful four Well, years. then you're not going that good. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I mean, I, I, think, I think the thing that I'm most proud of is, is um, how my children have handled uh, a transition and a loss in their life at a very young age mm-hmm. and how their, um, I think their character and their faith carried them through that. And I think that is a lot uh, based on the seeds that were planted in them at a young age by Stephanie and myself. And uh, and to watch them grow and prosper uh, through a, a, a very difficult, challenging time and yet, still be able to be the type of people that they've grown into, into to this day, uh, their, their mother's legacy. And I had a, a small part in that also to see them uh, prosper in the midst of difficult circumstances. So that would be the thing that I'm most proud of. You grew up uh, in the family, uh, a great football family, and arguably, I believe, um, maybe the best single football town in America, Massillon, Ohio. Uh, The name of the stadium there, the high school stadium, is Paul Brown Stadium. You were the son of a legendary head coach, Sonny Spielman. Now, we could go on and on about the stories of Sonny Spielman, one of the, uh, the, the, great, the great coaches and real characters. Gosh, I wish I'd have gotten a chance to know him. But, 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 but share with us what that was like to be the son of a high school football coach. So uh, you have to know a little bit of background about my, my dad. My dad uh, grew up in Canton, Ohio, um, lost his father at 12, um, my dad graduated high school and got a job and literally uh, digging ditches. And this guy came from him uh, from uh, East Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Some, some folks might know that as Last Chance U, that, that uh, mm-hmm. program on ESPN. But my, my dad uh, 
didn't have a lot of direction, didn't have a strong father figure. My, my, his stepfather came into his life when he was 18, which gave him some direction, but he didn't know what he was going to do. But this guy from East Mississippi State walking the streets of Canton and said, where's this Sonny Spielman guy that played at Central Catholic High School? And they said, well, he's working this construction job. And so the guy came out to the construction site and said, uh, found my dad and said, hey, you want to put the shovel down and come play some football in Mississippi? So my dad <laughs> dropped the shovel right there. He went on and played at East Mississippi State for a couple of years and graduated from St. Joseph's uh, College in Indiana then got into coaching uh, shortly after. But it was interesting um, not hearing him talk a lot about his youth because I knew it was uh, difficult youth. But but the beautiful thing about him was that my brother and I were his um, his best friends, and he made sure that we were involved with everything, Tom. I mean, our spring or family vacations would be we'd get in the station wreck in 1972, drive to the University of Houston because a gentleman <laughs> by the name of Bill Yeoman was running the Houston Beer, and he wanted to run that for his offense <laughs> at Canton in high school. And we would drive whatever it was, 30-some hours straight through Load to him Houston. Up. And let's go. And we were... And we would, and so I started being exposed to all this football stuff at a very young age. I remember, I remember I was six or seven at the time, and I remember that. Then the following year, we would uh, go to, to uh, Tobacco Road down in North Carolina. We'd hit Duke, Wake Forest, North Carolina, North Carolina State for spring ball. And I was just in awe. And so as I was being exposed to all this football knowledge at, at a very young age, my passion for the game grew and grew and grew. And he did everything to uh, foster that passion and with, within my brother and myself. But he was really hard on, on you two guys, Chris. And, and I'm really serious about this. You know, I coached my kids in basketball. This is seven, eight years ago. And I was a pretty fiery guy. Okay. And, and, and in just in just the last few years, I have parents telling me now, hey, Tom, there's no way you could coach these kids now the way you did seven years ago. And I look at them like they're crazy. But, but I really mean this. You know, there are parents and administrators and whatever you want to call them out there that might not look so kindly on the quote-unquote tough love you and your brother Rick got. Um, you know, what, what would you say to those people today that, that are questioning that tough love? So I, I think this, uh, it's tough love in this, too. Like, when we did well, he let us know we did well. And he was there with a pat on the back and a great job and a word of encouragement. And when we didn't do well, he let us know we didn't do well. And so I don't call it tough love. I call it honest. Yep. And he was very honest with us. And I think from my perspective, I've tried to do that with my kids uh, when – they were growing up, and not only in sports, but in school, and to this day, even in their job performance. I'm very honest with them, and I said, "Here's here's the here's um, the measurement. I know what you're capable of doing. I've watched you do it. I know the standard that you need to hold. And you and I, and I said this to all of my kids, even my stepdaughters. I said this to them all, and I still to this day, you and I." have set the standard. You set it yourself. I'm just here holding you to the standard that you set, that you told me you want to be held accountable to. And so I think that is a, a very fair way of coaching, of being a leader, of being a leader in your home, of being a leader in the workplace, mm -hmm. 
is that whatever the standard is set, all you're doing is holding people to the standard that they set, not that you set, that what they're capable of doing. And I, I can't emphasize enough. Yeah, he was a tough, absolutely. But he was honest in saying, hey, I'm really proud of you. You did a great job today. Your effort was outstanding. And then there were days we're saying, hey, were you even trying out there? Seriously? <laughs> You know, you're being heavily recruited. I mean, we've talked to some NFL coaches who were in college at the time when you were you were coming out of high school. And, I mean, I've heard people say more, more than four or five. It said you might have been the single most heavily recruited high school football player of all time. And you had made the decision, I'm going to play for Bo Schembechler in Michigan. <laughs> and then you come home and you're going to lay that information on Nancy and old Sonny. How did that go? Yeah. How did that go? <laughs> so. So, uh, with the, you know, my dad's Ohio High School football coach. So, you know, obviously he has um, something in his heart for Ohio State. Sure. And so, Bo Schembechler, of course, being from Barberton, Ohio. I don't know if uh, your listeners remember sure that. Sure, they do. Bo's an Ohio, Ohio guy. And and Bo hit me up the night before and he said, Chris, you got to be like me. You got to be different. You got to come play for Michigan. Be the Ohio guy that comes and plays for Michigan. Be your own man. You know, all that stuff. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so I go home. And this is after a basketball game that I was playing in. We were playing Akron Hoban High School against Butch Reynolds, former world sure. record holder. Butch was on the basketball team at Hoban. And um, I walk in and my dad said, all right, you got to make a decision. And, you know, understand before recruiting started, he said, son, I want you to understand that your mother and I, wherever you decide to go, we're going to back you 100%. I said, great. I said, dad, I think I want to go play for Coach Schembechler up at Michigan. And he said, hmm, I'll tell you what you're doing, you traitor mother effer. Your, <laughs> your, your ass is going straight down 71 South and playing for the High State Buckeyes. That's the end of that conversation. If you do go to Michigan, I'll never come up. Your mom will never come up, and you'll never come home. So, you know, <laughs> That's well. as good as it gets, man. That is as good as it gets. It turned out pretty good, though, didn't it? I mean, you know, to, to be the yeah. star, the guy, the middle linebacker at Ohio State, you go there, you have an incredible career, you get drafted in the second round. Did you think that was a slight at the time? I mean, you were the guy, the the best defensive player in the country collegiately well, your senior year, and yet you slipped to the second round. I think I like I prefer to say 29th overall. Okay, but, all right, uh, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough, 29th overall. <laughs> but yeah, still the second round, but. Um, I did, but I thought everything was a slight. But that's that was my edge. You yeah. know, that's how I, I, I lived like that. You know, I I, I knew that uh I the only the, the thing that I had as a player that set me apart were were my vision and instincts. And I knew that I wasn't a great workout guy. I mean I was good but but I wasn't great. So I, I knew that that would turn a lot of people off. But I did have great instincts and great vision, and I just knew that I was hoping that somebody would see that in me. And because I didn't get drafted in the first round, um, yeah, I took that personal, but I took everything personal back in those days. And But the Lions were the ones to see the instincts and the vision in me. And the Lions came through, never worked me out, never talked to me. I was working out in the house state weight room. I was finishing up with some core work and Ron Hughes, who's a legendary guy. We lost Ron a couple of years ago, 
legendary scout and uh, came through and he said, Chris, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm Ron Hughes of the Detroit Lions. If you're there at 29, we're taking you. And sure enough, the 29th pick wow. came around and uh, they, they took me. The, the thing I remember most, I was ticked. I, took, I was watching draft by myself. I threw my brother's black and white television um, through the upstairs <laughs> out the upstairs window in Maslin, Ohio, on Oxford Avenue, and um, then I and I was pissed or I was angry too because uh, they made the announcement during the commercial. That was the early days oh, of the man, of, course. of the draft, right? You know, and and but then once I got to Detroit, I walked in there and I don't want to say I was cocky, but I was very confident in what I was able to do, and I said, "I'll be your." Next, I'll be your starting middle linebacker here for the next 10 years. I think that was the first thing out of my mouth when I sat down and did an interview with, uh, you know him well, Frank Beckman. Sure, sure. It was the first interview I did at uh, WJR 760. And, and, you know, I didn't make it 10, but I made it eight years. And, uh, it was, it was, it was, a. It was a, it was a great ride. Here's the, here's the beauty of everything. The one thing I always kept in perspective is that I never, ever considered it uh, a privilege for the NFL to have me in it. I always considered it uh, a privilege for me to be in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I kept that perspective until the day I walked off the field in Cleveland. You know, you, you go on to play in four Pro Bowls. You go to the playoffs four times, uh, NFC Championship game. I mentioned earlier the Lions' all-time leading tackler. And, and the fire that you played with, uh, going back to, I'm sure, your youth, but even in the NFL, I mean, you turned off, uh, you know, some even some of your teammates who may have thought that, you know, this guy, I mean, this yeah. guy is just insane out there on the field. And you actually had times where there were teammates of yours that were unhappy about the 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 fire you had, right? I'm very proud to say that I I, I am probably the only linebacker in the history of the NFL to have a bounty on his head by his own secondary. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, I'll never forget this. So I would like, if, if back then, you know, I, I was, I was all about leading with the head. Sure. Spear and taking them out, you know, but if my defensive backs had a receiver and they didn't get them on the ground right away, I was running. I mean, that's how I made plays, right? I just maximum effort. And, and sometimes the wide receiver would, would see me coming and he would duck, then I would take out my defensive bat. <laughs> I'm sure they love so that. I, I, got, I got word of it that there's a bounty, there's a $5,000 bounty on, your, on hitting you. And so when I got word, I walked into the defensive back meeting room, I said, let me tell you guys something. And I was a little more colorful in my language. Sure. And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll double it. So whatever you, I'll make it 10. <laughs> Maybe you guys would think about putting a guy on the ground so I don't have to come over there and clean up your mess. And I walked out, and uh, I think the bounty was canceled after that. But I, yeah, it was fifteen grand on my head Unbelievable. by my own team. Unbelievable. Hey, I want to talk about one, one of the proudest moments of my life, though, when my own team put a bounty. On <laughs> How many guys have that? No, they did not. <laughs> uh, not many guys, uh, Chris, as well, had to go through what uh, you and Stephanie went through. Your wife. Um. Do you remember the first day you learned that she had been diagnosed with cancer? I do. Um, and I remember, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up quickly. Um, I was really 
upset because I felt like, you know, at that time, we just lost a third child to a miscarriage, and this all happened within a two-week period. Uh, my career was in jeopardy as a, coming back from a neck injury, and then we found out she had cancer. And uh, we were driving, the day we found out, we were driving to go meet with the doctor. We come to a stoplight right by the James Cancer Hospital in Columbus, and uh, I just start going off, cursing, punching the dashboard, and said, what's going on? Why, why is all this happening to me? And then Stephanie said something that pretty much changed my life and changed who I was as a person. And she said, how dare you? And, and she didn't say it in a, like a, a mean voice. Like she said it and, and she looked at me with these eyes that she was so disappointed in me. And I was crushed that I uh, disappointed her in her time of need. And she said, why don't you for the first time in your life look behind you and look at the thousands of uh, blessings that you've received up at this point. Look mm -hmm. at the thousands of hands that have served you up until this point. And she said, don't you dare say, I dare you. And it wasn't mean, it was just very matter of fact, but the look in her eyes and the disappointment in her voice, um, I'm, I pretty much made a change right at that moment about uh, re remembering what my vows were that in, on June 24th in 1989, I said it in sickness and in health, I came at a crossroads, Tom, Either I either um, I say who I am or I don't, and I have a saying that I live by now. Everybody says it, not everybody does it, and it was my time that I was going to say it and my time to do it. When she got through four bouts of cancer, and and now the last time, um, it, it's not going well at all. In fact, uh, you know right. you're going to lose her. Um, what did she say to you? Before she went to be with the Lord in heaven, what did she say to you, if anything, about uh, about being a father and a man moving forward without her being there? Well, I was very scared, as you can imagine. And, you know, I, I knew where she was going. I mean, she had no fear of dying. But I, she, she said that the biggest thing that she said to me that gave me so much peace when we found out that it spread into her spinal fluid and it was pretty much ball game, right? She says to me in a very calming, uh, comforting, confident way, she's tapping my hand and we were in an emergency room at Ohio State. I remember this and she said, it's okay. You proved to me that you can do it and it's, it's okay. And what she meant by you proved to me that you can do it was that the only concern she had was her four kids, which every mother would have or every father would have. But, you know, if, if I were in her position, I, I would have no worries that Steph would have taken care of the four kids. And so what I've come to learn during that time, during that whole cancer journey, she was watching me, watching me grow as a, a, as a dad, watching me grow as a nurturer, watching me grow as a person that could get the kids to school on time, to get their meals, to do the baths, to do the showers, to do the reading of books, to uh, handle the practice, their practice schedule. So this whole time she was observing me, and it, when the time was right, she said exactly what I needed to hear because 
by me proving to her that I could take care of her children gave her the peace of mind to get ready to go home. Of course, once she passed away, they at Ohio State University have named the Breast Cancer Center, the Stephanie Spielman Breast Cancer Research Center at Ohio State University. And and, and Chris, you and your family and so many others have raised tens of millions of dollars uh, for that program. Um, You recently leave the broadcast booth uh, to go become the CEO uh, of the Detroit Lions. Why? I mean, you're you're in the TV booth. It's a great gig. I know you love it because I work with you. Why go do this? I I feel like that I'm built for for winning and losing, for something to be on the line. I'm not qualified to be the general manager. I'm not qualified to be the coach, but I am qualified to help an organization identify what is needed and what needs to go. And... To be honest with you, my family said, uh, it's time to go, Dad. And uh, I get emotional about it because you don't know what your kids are watching and observing. And my my wife now, Carrie, what they've been watching and observing, they knew that I gave football up for them. They knew that I gave up my dream of coaching for them. I had many opportunities 20 previous years to enter into uh, the NFL college level, pretty much wherever I wanted Mm -hmm. to go. And uh, I called everybody together and I said, the Lions are offering me this incredible opportunity. What do you think I should should do? And they all had this giant smile on your face. You got to do it. You got to do it. All of them. And I did talk to my oldest daughter about it individually and she said, Dad, it's not forgotten what you did. And it's time for you to do your thing. And uh, that's why I talk about the things that I'm most proud of is that I raised my children to recognize and to put um, others above themselves. And my whole family, my wife and my stepdaughters and my children said, it's time for you to go, man. And do your thing, and so that's why I did it. Well, that's amazing. That's amazing. Your kids, uh, uh, you raise them in such a way to recognize that. Um, when you're interviewing a GM and a head coach, which you just went through with the Lions, you, you hire, you know, brand new, brand new staff. What's what's the most important answer, or what's the thing you want to hear? And I know they're two different jobs, but. You know, is it, Chris, X's and O's when you're sitting there and you're talking to them and you're going through the interviewing process and what they want to do on offense and defense and all these other kinds of things? Or is it something else that you have to hear and wanted to hear so you can make a decision or be a part of making the decision on those two jobs? So I identified a criteria for the hiring group uh, to stay the course on and that don't lose sight on. And it was three things. Um it was leadership and leadership uh, in a servant's role, not leadership in, um, you know, do as I say, not as I do type thing, more leadership in a servant's role. It was a communicator. Will this person be able to communicate exactly what is needed from him to, uh, to do our jobs and what we need and what the team needs from him to do their job? It was the ability to uh, build 
a team and make everybody feel important. For example, within the organization, I wanted, and coach and general manager had to have this vision that somebody selling tickets doesn't work for the Detroit Lions. They are a Detroit Lions. Sure. And and so the gentleman that we hired, Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes, always had that vision, and it's the same exact vision. And the other thing is, is staffing. Will you uh, surround yourself with talented people? Sometimes coaches, now not the great ones, but sometimes coaches are afraid to hire anybody that might be deemed a threat to them. Mm-hmm. A general manager might hire somebody that might be deemed a threat. Not these guys. They wanted to surround themselves with the best. So that's the formula that we stuck to, and that's the formula uh, that we use to identify what we believe is the proper leadership leading the Lions into the future. You trade Matthew Stafford. Why? Well, I think if if, if you're going to rebuild, and uh, it's, it was a mutual decision, I think Matthew wanted to try something else, and I think it was now is the right time for the Lions to try something else. He's, as you know, he's a tremendous talent. I mean, he really is. Uh, the one thing that Matthew's had 12 years in the league, and he hasn't won a playoff game. Now, it's not all his fault. Sure. That's the facts are the facts. And so Brad Holmes and Coach Campbell and the whole team did a great job of putting the best deal together. And we know that with with quarterbacks, sometimes teams are, are going to do what they have to do to get their guy. So the Rams identified Stafford as their guy. And in return, you get a third-round pick this year, a 26-year-old quarterback that's won playoff games that's been to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. plus two future first-rounders. I mean, that's an amazing. It was trade. almost. It's almost irresponsible not to take that trade, to be honest with you. And, you know, it made it easier, again, because I think both parties mutually agreed to part ways. Chris, I'm going to let you go. You've been extremely generous with your time. I tell you, and and you've gotten to know my family very, very well. I've gotten to know yours, and and I I can promise you, my main man, Luke, is going to be uh, walking around in some, some lion's uh, guard. <laughs> of course, if you send it, we get it for free because I don't have a job, so I can't go out and buy a bunch of Lions stuff. But uh, I'm a Lions fan. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. And 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 I, I tell anybody who ever asks, when people ask me, you know, the best partner I ever had, and I have had some incredible partners, but I, I've never enjoyed the time together more uh, than the years that you and I worked together. Nobody taught me more about faith. Nobody taught me more about being a dad, about being a husband. Very serious very important conversations, uh, the way you led your life and lead your life every single day and, and learning about football and, and just the kind of man you are. And I, I was truly blessed to have you in my life for all those years and, and years to come. And, man, nobody on the planet's rooting for you more than me. So the best of luck up there in your new gig with the Detroit Lions. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it, brother. Chris Spielman, kind enough to join us on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. I know you enjoyed it, and we'll look forward to catching up again next week. Be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.